Moskowitz here. Josh Bernstein's my guest, the Josh Bernstein's program, which is uh, huge right now on YouTube and on other venues. He's doing some cutting edge work. Josh, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on the program. Josh, I've noticed that you've gotten into some very interesting and unique issues lately uh, before we get into the topic of the day, that you're the only source that I can find on these issues. I particularly talk about your investigation of Chief Justice John Roberts and whether or not he had been blackmailed into writing that crazy decision on Obamacare. You're the only person that I've seen talk about this. And um, I, I'm really very pleased that you're bringing these things up because that's real inside politics. Correct. Yeah, no, look, uh, that was uh, a, a story that uh, I covered a while back. And ultimately, uh, what we found out, and again, I think many people had their suspicions back then why John Roberts would have changed his vote so suddenly when he was leaning one direction, which was to uh, not uphold uh, the Unaffordable Careless Act, as I like to call mm -hmm. it. And what we found out later on is that the uh, intelligence community, if you want to use that word, of Barack Obama with James Clapper and John Brennan, uh, along with James Comey at the time, uh, actually recorded and wiretapped John Roberts, uh, as well as many others, um, Sheriff Joe Arpaio and many other people, and basically used that information against him. And what they basically did is John Roberts uh, and his wife uh, were having some issues conceiving uh, a child, and they decided to adopt. Uh, John Roberts and his family have close ties in Ireland. And what ended up happening is, instead of doing an adoption here in the United States, they did an adoption out of Ireland. And they got a little boy and a little girl. Well, the problem with that is that uh, international adoption was not a thing for America. It was actually illegal. You weren't allowed to do that. And they did not go through the private channels. And it was more of a private adoption rather than a public adoption, for that matter. Mm -hmm. And they ended up uh, using this information against John Roberts and telling him at the time that if you do not switch your vote, we will go to the press with this information. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the New York Times was ready, uh, at the ready, to run a story on this. And the Obama administration backed them down. So, yes, that, that is uh, on my channel. That, uh, it was covered. Uh, by a few others, but you're right, not many, and that's what I do. I cover things that other people don't cover. Exactly, and uh, it goes to just this kind of aspect of the Obama administration where Barack Obama was a control freak. He seemed to want to know everything that everyone was talking about. I think in his case, it might have been driven by this narcissistic interest in knowing what people are saying about him. And he, would, he was spying on his friends as much as his enemies. I mean, Angela Merkel was um, being eavesdropped on, and she was complained to the UN about it. So this is something that's been pretty well common knowledge, and it might even have a lot to do with, in fact, I would argue it does have a lot to do with the fact that um, Obama looked the other way on, the, um, on, on the Russia's involvement in the election. And in the meantime, they were arranging to spy on the Trump, Trump campaign with that phony dossier, and that's all coming out now. Um, so there's this tendency toward um, bugging and toward super surveillance. Well, you know, you're right. And not only did he um, look the other way, 
he looked to that way. As a matter of fact, he was the one that started it. He's the one that decided to spy on the Trump campaign and candidate Trump at the time. Uh, that is all coming out. You're absolutely correct. And another big development uh, that I'm actually going to drop uh, in the next couple of days is the fact that William Barr uh, is not messing around. And mm -hmm. I believe that he will indict these people. And the reason I believe it is not because of hearsay or because what the media says, but because of what the man himself has said. I mean, he recently testified that he believes that they were spying inside the campaign. And so, therefore, what's he going to do now? Back away and say, oh, I was wrong. I didn't really do that. Of course, he, he understands that that was the case. I mean, if Stevie Wonder could tell that there was spying done on this campaign. And now that we have John uh, Durham appointed, mm -hmm. this is a no-nonsense type guy. You would know being in the Boston area. This yep. is a guy that literally took down the corrupt FBI and Boston officials uh, in the area. Um, yes. We know that uh, he put John Connolly in jail for 10-plus years. We know what he did with uh, Whitey Bulger and, uh, and, and, and Flammy and, and the rest of them. So this is a no-nonsense guy. John G. Rowland, the uh, governor of Connecticut, uh, went, went to jail That's right. because okay. of his investigative work. So <clears throat> there's clearly an indication here that this guy has no problem going after the truth. And from what I can tell, doesn't actually show leniency either. So I think that's a huge development. Oh, yeah. I think it's very important for future investigations moving forward. And I do think that uh, he will put politics aside, partisan politics aside, and get to the bottom of things. Well, no, that's an excellent development. And certainly, I think when Durham was in Boston, he came up against a very recalcitrant FBI director by the name of Bob Mueller. But putting that aside... Is um, also Michael Horowitz, who is the head, who is the Inspector General, is supposed to issue his report later this month, early next, which is about the corruption with the FBI, Peter Stork, Lisa Page, McCabe, Comey, and several officials in the Department of Justice, including the um, uh, Orr and Nellie Orr and others, and some of their activities and whether or not those things are, he's going to recommend indictment. So. You know, I think you're quite right and you're quite on this. I mean, there's a lot of things that are coming down and we just need to take a breath and be patient and, and look beyond some of this shrill and hysterical noise coming out of the Democratic side where they're saying that Barr has to be impeached and everyone should yeah. be impeached and this right. insanity. So, but I, but I really, Josh, brought you on today because you want to talk about and I want to hear about this sort of mainstreaming on the part of the Democrats of what we used to view as anti-Semitism. You've got Democratic, new, newly elected Democratic members of Congress like, like Omar and Tlaib and others. And then you have an embrace of Farrakhan and you've got um, the, the co-chair of the Democratic National Committee, Ellison and others are expressing views that were conventionally thought of as anti-Semitic even as recently as a year ago, but are now being mainstreamed. So talk about that a bit. Well, obviously, look, uh, I think the latest development is obviously this uh, Rashida Tlaib character. You know, uh, the, the Nazis and, and Hitler and Goebbels, they all said that if you tell a lie, a large enough lie, to as many people as possible, eventually, Many of those people will start to believe it because they'll think there's no way that this could be that absurd and not be true. Well, if you fast forward now to 2019, 
and you look at Rashida Tlaib, and you look at Ilhan Omar, and you look at some of these other characters, well, that's exactly what's happening. And for her to say, number one, to say that she wants to abolish Israel, believes in a one-state solution that does not include Israel, uh, is bad enough, which is what she said at the 28-minute mark on the Skullduggery show, which uh, basically is a new leftist Marxist platform for these crazies to go to and spew their hatred. But not only did she go there, but then she said that she gets a warm, calming feeling or a calming feeling when she thinks about the Holocaust. Oh, my now, God. What the hell now, did she mean by that? Right. Now, what she's <clears throat> saying personally is saying, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean it that I get a, a calming feeling knowing that these Jews were murdered and killed. Yeah, right. Like, I believe that. Then she says, no, it was because the Palestinians created safe havens for the Jews. This is what she oh said. Oh, my God. That's this crazy. This is an absolute lie, number one. In World War II, the Grand Mufti uh, of Palestine, of Jerusalem, actually, yeah. uh, al-Husseini, worked with the Nazis and the Nazi party and corroborated with them on how to persecute the Jews, okay? That is 100% fact. Not oh, to so. mention that, before World War II, the British approached the Grand Mufti and the Palestinians and said, we would like for you to take 75,000 Jewish resettlement uh, folks into the area, and they refused. That, to me, is the opposite, the opposite of what a safe haven looks like. So this woman is telling this horrific lie, and she needs to be called out on it. Uh, she also may be illegally in Congress, as the, there should be investigation into the fact that she did not live in her district. Um, her own father outed her to the Detroit Free Press News about that, saying, no, my daughter did not live here at the time. She used the address to run for Congress. Uh, and the poor people of Michigan in the 13th District, first you had John Conyers for years, which was bad enough. Then he gets thrown out of office because of improprieties against women. And then you get stuck with a Jew-hating anti-American. God, I hope somebody challenges this person in Michigan and, uh, and reclaims that seat with someone that any, has any semblance of sanity. And yet the Democratic establishment, the Democratic Party cannot bring themselves to criticize either her or Omar after her comment about APAC buying congressmen with the Benjamins and then these other old anti-Semitic tropes. Some people did something. It's, yeah. it's and, amazing. And, but the thing that's amazing about it is if that, that had been a Republican or if that had been anyone who didn't genuflect to the left, they would be finished. It would right. be uh, the, the outrage would be through the roof, and yet they cannot even bring themselves to pass a resolution. They finally passed some tepid resolution criticizing all haters or something like this, not mentioning yeah. any names. And we all know who they're really trying to talk about without, you know, with a dog whistle. Yeah. But but you know, it, it's um, the fact that the thing that bothers me about this more than the fact that these are these same old anti-Semites who come out of the woodwork every so often is that it's becoming mainstreamed by the Democratic Party due to their lack of will or their lack of interest or even tepid support of these of these points of view. Yeah, and the sad part about that is, is that the same type of sentiment, the same type of uh, 
relaxed attitude towards anti-Semitism, if you will, uh, was prevalent right before World War II in yeah. many European Jews. Oh, Hitler's just saber-rattling. He would never do something like that. Well, you know what? When you don't take things seriously and you don't learn from history, God forbid, you can repeat it. Well, obviously, we're in a different time, and uh, as, as Jews, we would never allow something like that to happen again. But the fact that we are not speaking out loudly against this is absolutely deafening, uh, to be quite honest. It's very frightening, and we need to do that. I mean, could you imagine if a Jewish Republican got up and said that he gets a warm, calming feeling every time he hears about Muslims being prosecuted? They would want his head on a pike. They would have him thrown out of Congress. He would be stripped of his, you know, uh, his duties and, and his chairmanships and, and all these other things. They would be picketing. They'd be rioting. It would be a nightmare. It would be all over the news. But because it's the opposite, nothing. And you know what? I'll say this, and this is a controversial statement, especially coming from someone who's a conservative Jew. But many, not all, but many American Jews are liberals first and Jews second. What well, that's, that's, that? yeah, that's, that's their religion. Their religion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I totally get that. And also there's, there's this proliferation, and you're, you're, you're big on YouTube. Your show is huge. I mean, the Josh Bernstein program, the Josh Bernstein show on YouTube. It's excellent. I get it. I urge my followers to get it. Um, but I'm seeing these YouTube people popping up. I think that most of them are sort of on the left, but they're not really either left or right, but they're promulgating these ridiculous anti-Jewish conspiracy theories. And I'm, you know, uh, I'm thinking of people like Adam Green. I don't know if you follow him, but, you know, and, and they believe that, you know, the, the White House and, and, and Donald Trump is secretly being controlled by the Jews and that really Jared Kushner is the prime minister and, and Mnuchin and they're manipulating it for Israel. And they have this cockamamie theory about the Chabad, which is a religious organization that's secretly trying to bring about the Antichrist and that Kushner is the Antichrist. Now, this guy that went and shot up a synagogue in San Diego, it's interesting that that was a Chabad synagogue. I mean, I wonder if these people have huge followings. I mean, Adam Green has probably well over 100,000 followers. And, and they're younger people. I mean, these guys are very slick and they're very hip looking guys. And, you know, they're not the old, grisly old anti-Semites that we conventionally think of. Have you noticed this phenomena and what do you make of it? Well, obviously, yes, I have. Uh, you know, I get a lot of comments on my own channel. They're like, hey, you know, and, and the funny thing is, is that maybe they're just not putting two and two together. Josh and Bernstein is about as Jewish as you can get. Yeah. Uh, I just don't toe the line of the you know Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the George Soros of the world. I absolutely despise those people. I expose those people. I say a lot of times that those are the types of Jews uh, that give the good ones like myself and many others a bad name. And when they are trying to destroy this country and other countries and currency manipulation and you know and buying off Democrats and and trying to you know finance these migrant caravans as George Soros and his Open Society has been doing for years. By the way, also $200,000 behind Rashida Tlaib. Uh, that's another thing. From Soros? Omar. Uh, George Soros is, yeah. Uh, yeah uh -huh. As a matter of fact, uh, on his Open Society tax returns, it actually shows that he gave her a $200,000 fellowship award. So yes, the money is behind her as well, coming from Soros. 
So I am against all those types of folks, and I don't like it when my audience, uh, but not typically my audience, some, sometimes newer people, they come to my channel and they bash me thinking that I'm one of those types of communists and, uh, and that I support those types of things. I don't like that. And then the other thing is, is that sometimes they try to lump everything together to say that Israel is the root cause of evil in the world and, and of course, uh, you know, they're anti-Israel. And some of them are big fans of mine and they don't even realize, maybe they're not putting two and two together, but they don't even realize the fact. So yes, I do see it. I see it in my comment section quite a bit. But you know what? I just laugh it off. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, uh, I support Israel 100%. I know that America, for the most part, supports Israel. I think it's interesting that the Democrats used to be the ones that have been perceived as supporting Israel. Now they're not so much, and it's actually the Christian evangelical right that are the ones that support Israel, because if it ever proverbial, you know, what hit the fan, it would be the Christian right of America that would step up to defend Israel. It would not be the liberal left. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that Israel still has broad support among both liberals and conservatives, left and right, uh, Democrats and Republicans. And the problem is that the Democrats have been co-opted by this radical cell of, of, of people. I mean, these uh, these elected uh, new elect this new thatch of elected Congress people who are more openly anti-Israel than ever. I mean, maybe in the past they might have been a little bit, you know, more circumspect because they know that it's popular to support Israel. But now it's become quite fashionable to be open about it and to make alliances with some of these uh, more radical elements on YouTube, which they have a right to do it. I'm not for censorship. You know, I'm glad that you know, they're out there. I've had my own tussles with them. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty outspoken Jew myself. And, um, you know, the people look askance at me <laughs> in my synagogue now because uh, Judaism has become so infected by the left-wing bug. <laughs> I mean, you might have noticed this too, Josh, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, there's only, what, maybe 20, 21 million Jews left in the world. Uh, there's billions and billions of, of Muslims around the entire world. It's like, what is 21 million of us going to do to you? It's like, leave us alone already. You yeah, know, really? let us live our lives. You tried to destroy us and kill six million of us and wipe us out once before. We're not going to let you do it again. Uh, what's going on, you know, around the world, and it's not just here at home. Obviously, France uh, has seen a huge uptick in anti-Semitism, knifings on the streets. Uh, England has seen it. Germany has seen it. You've seen some parties in Germany that, that are rising up. So, you know, it's like we're back under assault and attack everywhere that we turn around, and it's really pretty frightening. And, and most of this is emanating from the left now, between the boycott yeah. movement and between the Talebs and Omars. Those people are on the far left, and they seem to have made an unholy alliance with more radical elements of Islam. You know, you mentioned the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. I wrote a book on the topic published by Wilna Daily. Um, yeah. And um, he was actually, in a way, one of the things that's interesting about him is that after he had instigated a pogrom against Jews in Jerusalem in 1920, called the Passover, Bloody Passover, where 50 people were murdered, and he fled the country in advance of, a, of an indictment, the British consul, the British uh, Governor General Herbert Samuel, a very liberal Jew, by the way, he invited him back, pardoned him, and appointed him Mufti of Jerusalem. 
and it was against the will of the Muslims in in yeah. Palestine at the time. And it goes to how liberals, whether they be back then or today, have so often sided with the more radical elements uh, in the world, you know, and, and at the expense of a more moderate element, which was also emerging at that time in the Arab world, and I get into this in my book, and that this is, seems to be a pattern that's emerging today. You know, there are, are very moderate Muslim leaders in this country, like Dr. Zudi Jassar. I recommend that you have him yeah, on your show. I've, I've had him on my show uh, yeah. two or three times. Exactly. He doesn't get heard from. Instead, they go to CARE, which is a front for the Muslim Brotherhood, and quote them like they're legitimate leaders of the Muslim world. Who made them le leaders? I mean, yep. we are siding with the more radical elements who are against us at the expense of more moderate elements. And, you know, they say that we're anti-Muslim. Quite the opposite. They're anti-Muslim because they're supporting these regimes and these movements that are oppressive to Muslims, especially women. You know, I mean, what yep. about, we're not even allowed to talk about that. You know, meanwhile, I mean, the suffering that's going on in those countries is, we can't even imagine. Um, so that's anti-Muslim. Yeah, but, what what's amaze, amazes me is that where are the feminists? Where are the ones that are supporting women and women's rights and women's equality and all those wonderful things? Why do they then let Islam get a pass? When Islam teach women uh, treats women like you know your typical house pet, yeah. you know you, you can't go out of the house without permission. Uh, if you're raped, then you know you need three men to say that it, it didn't happen, which is never going to happen. You know uh, you can't drive a car in, in Saudi Arabia mm. until just you know earlier this year. So it, you know you have to be completely covered up. You can't show any of your your body or your skin. I mean. It's really, really sad. And you know what else I find very weird and interesting? And I've had conversations with Muslim women about this. Is I say, you know, in your country, you had to cover up. You had to wear a hijab. But you're in America now. This is the land of opportunity and freedom. Why then would you want to wear the international sign of women's oppression in a free and not oppressed country? And I've had many conversations, and obviously they say, well, it has to do more with their religious aspect. But you know what? There are many Muslims, Muslim women, that do not cover up, do not wear the hijab, and they still practice their faith. So I don't understand why here in America they still want to be oppressed by having to cover up. It's just a conversation, you know, that, uh, that I've had on a, a few different levels. It's interesting. I think it has to do with the fact that in this country right now, it's more fashionable to be seen as a person of color than, yeah. and um, that's why Rashida Tlaib during the, um, I, I think it was the uh, the Kavanaugh hearings, she referred to herself as a person of color. Right. When she's not. I mean, Muslims, you know, Arabs are white. I mean, according to the State Department. I mean, it's not, but there's this insistence on identifying in that way because there are advantages to that. You know, there's, so when you wear the hijab, you get it's actually benefits. I mean, there's there's more right. pro there's more pro than con with that, and and it's interesting that with regard to American Muslims, they've only started to do that recently. They didn't used to wear the hijab. It's not, you know, it's becoming like you know they're they're embracing this as a, as an idea because um, you know it, it creates this um, idea of a special class, an oppressed class that you get benefits from being part of. 
And I mean, I'm saying that in the context of people have a right to observe their faith. I mean, if somebody, sure, you know, of course. So, uh, so Josh, what are you working on over there now? Um, I got a lot of different things. Uh, number one, uh, the Trump administration is fed up with national injunctions, and they are looking to uh, find some case studies to bring directly to the Supreme Court so that we can finally get a ruling on that. Uh, you know, it's terrible when a district judge issues an injunction against President Trump, his administration, the travel ban, the uh, you know declaration of uh, security that he did uh, for the border wall, and then these things get stopped, and these left-wing activist judges uh, end up being able to stop these types of things nationally when they're not supposed to have that type of jurisdiction. They're supposed to be able to stop things in their district. That's what, who they represent. But yet, they've been using these injunctions. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, up until 1963, you didn't have any national injunctions. And then it really started with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had about one to one and a half per year. And then from there, if you look at uh, uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, they were issued about two to two and a half, maybe three per year. But now, President Trump, in only his you know second, going into his third year, has had over 30 national injunctions against him. They are using it as a way to obstruct his agenda when they can't win at the ballot box. So I have a full report on that uh, that I'm going to be covering as well. Also, you mentioned CARE earlier. A lot of people don't know this, but just last week in Virginia, they arrested 66-year-old Haji Raji, who was an FBI Arabic translator for working with al-Shabaab terrorists. Under the, <clears throat> under the table, he was caught on a wiretap. Was this the one in Alabama? Uh, no, that's another. That's story. a whole different one. Yeah, that's okay. a whole another story. See, these are the things that I cover and I and I look for and bring to my audience. Uh, and the one that I dropped this morning on Canada. Look, Canada is no bastion for free speech and free, um, you know, rights of expression these days. But they're now trying to pass a law that would almost criminalize Christianity, oh, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. And the extremely left-wing Supreme Court of Canada uh, has been really uh, coming down hard on people's freedom of speech and their ability to say things in public and things like that. There's another law that they're trying to pass, the liberals in the Canadian legislature. I just dropped that story this morning. So if folks want to learn more and they want to hear about things that aren't on the news, go to Josh Bernstein on YouTube. You can also find it on uh, on Amazon TV, Roku TV, and elsewhere. But it's patreon.com forward slash Josh Bernstein. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Josh Bernstein. My channel reaches uh, over 1.5 million views a month, mm -hmm. almost 85,000 subscribers. But yet, there are no ads running on my channel because I have been demonetized for a very long time on YouTube because of the subject matter that I cover. So feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash Josh Bernstein. Donate five, ten bucks a month. Uh, I would greatly appreciate it to help me monetize my efforts and defeat censorship. Uh, as I always say, it's not um, an expenditure, it's an investment yeah. because I eat, sleep, and breathe protecting this nation. Well, I admire your work, Josh, and um, I, I will be posting this show with, with all of your links and um, 
let's stay in touch. And thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Anytime, any topic. It'd be my pleasure. All right, Josh. Take care. Thank you. All right. All right, Josh.